Shabbat Shalom and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We are glad to see you here this Shabbat. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah, greet one another in the chat. Greet one another in the chat. And please think about subscribing to this ministry channel here on YouTube. We're also over on Odyssey because we've decided that we should back things up. And if you would like to volunteer to back up some of the teachings too on an external hard drive, that would be much appreciated. I know some of you have volunteered to do that. Please consider the ministry and the giving of your tithes and offerings. We thank you so much, those of you that do, and appreciate the support all of the time all over the world. We have letters coming in and so many good reports, so many blessings from people who are inspired by the message. There's so much milk toast out there, and apparently this isn't a milk toast ministry. I'm glad of that, and I know you are too. Sometimes I might offend you a little bit salty, but hey, could be lukewarm. <laughs> Never. Let's get into chapter 30. Guaranteed not to be milk toast. Chapter 30, we are really trucking along Isaiah, the fifth Hebrew gospel. Chapter 30. The context is within the 8th century, of course, before the Common Era. I've been going on and on for several weeks, and sometimes people lose the context. But the context is still the same. We're in the 8th century before the Common Era, and we've got the divided kingdom of Israel. At this particular time, the northern kingdom of Israel had fallen to the Assyrians. So the ten northern tribes had been taken captive by the Assyrians, and the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, is there within its capital, Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, but it was facing political upheaval and external threats. Isaiah chapter 30, if you leaf through it, focuses on the political and military crisis faced by the kingdom of Judah. Let me adjust my audio a little bit here for a second. Now, Isaiah, what he does is he's rebuking Judah. Why? Because this whole chapter is about them seeking assistance from Mitzrayim, seeking assistance from Egypt against this northern threat, this Assyrian threat, instead of trusting Elohim for their deliverance. Let's go back to Egypt. Oh, let's go back to the world. Oh, the government will take care of us. Benefits and privileges. It's the same mindset. It's the main same mindset. Now, also, pay attention to the context of where we are at in the Middle East today. Where are the people turning to for strength? Where are they looking to for strength? Going back to daddy, right? Most of um, Israelis are looking to the United States, the dual citizens in government, 
the majority of our leaders are dual citizens to the Zionist state of Israel and going back to Mitzrayim. We are in spiritual Egypt. We are in Mitzrayim. We are in Babylon. We are in exile. We need to be looking to the Holy One of Israel, not to the land in which we are inhabited, not to the leaders of which we are being what? trafficked and traded under okay more debt created more debt created so that your descendants my descendants they want us to pay the debt so they keep printing it more they don't care it's an absolute absolute clown show but this is the world in which we live but what we see is there is hope there is deliverance now the assyrian empire it was expanding its power base and it did pose a significant threat to the surrounding nations including um, the kingdom of judah now down in jerusalem in the context of the eighth century before the common era isaiah speaking and he's talking about the posing, there's a threat of this Assyrian invasion. But rather than returning, making repentance, and returning back to Yahuwah for guidance, for protection, what did the leaders do? They sought military alliances with Egypt. They were looking to Egypt's military might. They were looking for horses and chariots and support against the Assyrians. Currently, in the state of Israel, the Khazars, now they're under threat from all sides, right? Not just from Gaza, but from the West Bank, but now from the Syrians, from Hezbollah, from the north. And are they doing teshuva? Are they doing repentance? Are they seeking the Holy One of Israel? Or are they looking to the chariots of Egypt? Are they looking to the United States as we send aircraft carriers and battleships and our government gives them more money, more debt instruments that your generations are going to have to pay? Why would they do that? Because they are one and the same of the same side of the coin. Look at the dual citizenship of our leaders and then you see where their allegiance is. This is a big problem. And this is a nationality of people that have been trading and trafficking and using debt and negotiable instruments since the time of Edward I. It's always been that way. And wars are bankers' wars, and they are the bankers. And this is what people start need to look at. It's not white people that's the problem, okay? You could, and because then you can say, oh, it's the white people, it's racism. Well, hang on a minute. There's a specific nationality that needs to be identified here. It's Turkic Mongol in its origin. It's Khazarian. I need to say no more. Read Revelation chapter 2. And we'll get into Smyrna a little bit later and we'll talk about something that happened back in 1666. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So currently, what we see is that the state of Israel, the Khazars there, now find themselves under threat from all sides, including the north, including Syria. And they're turning to their dual citizen stooges in the United States government, the political 
and military arm of the all-seeing eye, the triangle, the triad, right? That's exactly what's happening. There's so much propaganda and disinformation, but if we can get to the origins of this, then everything becomes clear. The historical context of political instability, the looming threat of the Assyrian Empire, and Judah's wavering faith amidst the crisis sets the whole backdrop to Isaiah 30. And there is a prophetic warning in there for us today. And there are admonitions in there for us today because we are in a very similar situation. Here at home, I pose the question, do we face political instability? Do we? The looming threat of empires and are believing, believers becoming stronger or are they becoming weaker? Are they becoming lukewarm and milk toast? And are they wavering in their faith? And are they all looking to support Israel? Because they have a misunderstanding of biblical Israel, Yaakov, Jacob, and the 12 tribes of Israel and what we have as a political entity created in 1948. And they confuse them too as the same. But it, that is very, very different. We need to look at humanity. We need to look at mankind. We need to be our brother's keeper, do we not? So the alliance with Egypt Egypt represents a lack of faith and reliance on what? Human power rather than divine guidance. The use of Egypt in the text sometimes can be used as a symbol, like I have, of what? Worldly solutions instead of trusting in Yahuwah and his guidance. So we can use Egypt as a metaphor for just trusting in worldly solutions, when really we should be digging deeper. Where are our fears and anxieties coming from? So the emphasis then is on the consequences of misplaced trust. There's consequences of misplaced trust. The dangers of relying on human strength. The dangers yes. of relying on worldly powers. It's dangerous. Instead of having faith in Yahuwah. What are we going to do? Woe to the rebellious people. Woe to the rebellious children, says Yahuwah, that take counsel, but not from me. And that devise plans, but not from my Ruach, that they may add sin to sin. It's just going to get worse. You're just adding sin to sin. You're just going headlong to destruction when you turn to the world. Who get set to go down into Mitzrayim and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Mitzrayim. 
Verse 3. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Mitzrayim your confusion. Do you see right now a people that are so confused? Absolutely so confused. Why? They're trusting in the world. They're trusting in politics. They're trusting in Egypt. They're trusting in the information coming out of Egypt instead of turning to the Holy One of Israel. Because when you turn to the Holy One of Israel, you have clarity. Hokmah and Binah, wisdom and understanding. The fear of Yahweh in keeping his commandments is Hokmah and Binah, wisdom and understanding. It is night vision in dark, wicked times. Verse 4, for his rulers were at Zoan and his ambassadors came to Hanez. They go to a people that could not profit them, nor to be a help, nor a profit to them, but rather a shame and also a reproach. The burden of the beasts of the south into the land of trouble and anguish. From where comes the young and old lion, the viper and fiery flying serpent? They will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young donkeys and their treasures upon the humps of camels to a people that shall not profit them. Verse 7. For the Mitzrim, the Egyptians, shall help in vain and to no avail. Therefore have I called her Rahav Hem Sheveth, arrogance doing nothing. Now go, write it before them on a tablet and note it in a scroll, that it may be for the time to come, Leolam Vayed, forever and ever. That this is a rebellious people, lying children that will not listen to the Torah of Yahuwah. That's the crux of the matter. Who say to the seers, see not, and to the Nevim, prophet, prophesy not to us right things, but speak, speak to us smooth, nice things. Give us what we want to hear. Give us the propaganda. Give us the propaganda. Give us the milk toast. We want to feel good. It's all about Jesus, right? He loves us. We love him. Can we come back next Sunday and do the same thing again and again? He loves you. I love you. Do you love me? Let's love one another. All right. Bacon in the beans and meat by the potluck? I mean, sorry, but that's what it is. See not the Nevi'im. Prophesy not to us right things. Speak to us smooth, nice things. Prophesy deceits. Get out of his derek way. Turn aside out of the path and cause the Kadosh one, the Holy One of Israel, to leave us alone. We don't want to hear what Yahoo has to say. We just want to hear what the false prophets of propaganda have got to say. Speaking smooth words to us. Everything's going to be happy, clappy. You know, it's just me and my personal Jesus. Just leave me the heck alone. Don't be talking to me about the Torah. Don't be talking to me about the Elohim, the Holy One of Israel, and certainly don't be trying to change my life to align with his word. Is that the world in which we live in? You see, look 
at the deeper spiritual consequences of relying on external powers. That is what Isaiah is saying. There are, there's, there's consequences, spiritually. Forsaking Yahweh for human alliances has a cost. Forsaking Yahweh for human alliances, highlighting the loss of what? You won't get the protection you're looking for, and you certainly won't get the guidance. You need divine protection and divine guidance in a day of these days. So in Isaiah chapter 30, in the first 11 verses, now we see this word, um, mirim, mirim, and it, it's a word that is translated into rebellious, mirim, and it implies willful disobedience, high-handed willful disobedience. The term consult in verse 2, it comes from the Hebrew word sha'al, sha'al, and it indicates seeking counsel, whereas trust in verse 15 is translated from the Hebrew word batak, batak, and it, it's meaning a reliance or a confidence. Isn't that what you want? You want that confidence in Yahuwah, the confidence in his guidance. It's a trust. Even in the darkest times, that's, that's the culmination of Job's life. After all of the arguing, all of the propaganda that came from his friends, when he was stripped down, he saw the Almighty as the Almighty, and he, it made him fear him even more, that he trusted him when he had nothing. That was the culmination. Look at verse 12. Therefore, this says the Kadosh One of Israel, the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perversiveness and stay in that. Is that, that seems to be the current state of the West. We trust in oppression. Debt is, is oppression. Okay? There is no money of exchange. It's just ledgering. It's double-entry bookkeeping. It's just debt. And it's going up fast. And they don't care. Because they're not paying it. You and your descendants for generations to fund their wars and their expansionism. People should be in the street saying, what are you doing? You've enslaved a whole nation. The West is enslaved. If you're in fiat currency, then that's, that's trafficking in slavery. And they're just printing more and more and more and more. And you know who's going to pay? The descendants, unless the people wake up. And the people trust in this oppression. And then what do they do? They float perversiveness. Look at the people with the dual citizenship and then look at the filth industry, the smut industry, and you'll see that they're owned by the same people. 
It's all the same. It's all in the protocols of the elders of Zion. <gasps> you can't mention that, but I read a lot of books. You should too. You should too. <gasps> I can't believe he reads that. What, so we should only read what they give you in these stupid colleges? We know what they're giving you, right? Communists. We've been taken over by communism, Bolshevism, Khazarism, whatever you want to call it. Therefore, verse 13, this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, growing in a high wall whose breaking comes suddenly at an instant. Yesterday, the federal um, system crashed. You couldn't do ACH deposits. It crashed in an instant. So what does that tell you? It's very unstable. Things are very unstable in the financial markets right now. That's the automatic clearinghouse of transactions. Everything with all of your tra ACH, right? That's a federal system. Bugs in it. Hmm. Oh, yeah. They're bugs. Bugs, all right. Lice and bugs. Verse 14. And he shall break it as the breaking of the potter's vessel that is broken in pieces. He shall not spare, so that there shall not be found among the fragments to use to make fire from the fireplace, or to take maim, water, out of the cistern. Verse 15. For this says the Master Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest shall you be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength, but you would not. But you said, no, for we will flee upon horses, therefore you shall flee. And we will ride upon the swift, and they shall not pursue you, our swift. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one, at the rebuke of five shall you flee, until you are left as a beacon upon the top of the mountain and as a banner upon a hill. And therefore will Yahuwah wait, that he may extend rachamin, mercy upon you, and therefore will he be exalted, so that he may have rachamin upon you. For Yahuwah is an Elohim of mishpat, judgment. Blessed are all they that wait upon him. Verse 19. For the people shall live in Zion at Yerushalayim, you shall weep no more. He will have great rachamin, mercy towards you at the voice of your cry. When he shall hear, he will answer you. And though Yahweh gave you the lechem, the bread of adversity, and the maim, water of affliction, 
Yet your teachers shall not be removed into a corner anymore, but your eyes shall see your teachers, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the derek, this is the path, have your way this away. And when you turn to the right hand, and when you turn to the left hand, you shall defile also the covering of your graven images of silver and the ornament of your molded images of gold. You shall cast them away as a menstrual cloth. You shall say to it, get out, and then shall he give the rain for your zirah seed that you shall sow the ground and the lechem, the bread, as the increase of the earth and it shall be fat oh it shall be filling in that day shall your cattle feed in large pastures do you see the shift between the first 11 verses now as we get deeper into the text because Isaiah is still continuing with his rebuke of Judah, but he's chastising them for their rejection of divine counsel in favor of seeking solace in deception and oppression. Again, they need to be putting their trust in the Holy One of Israel. Look at verse 24. The oxen and the young donkeys that work the ground shall eat clean, tasty mixtures that has been winnowed with the shovel and with the fan. And there shall be on every high mountain and upon every high hill rivers and streams of Maim water in the day of the great slaughter, when the towers fall. Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be magnified as sevenfold, as the light of seven days, in the day that Yahweh binds up the breach of his people and heals their wounds from his blows. Verse 27. See, the name of Yahweh comes from far, burning with his anger, and the burden of it, it is heavy. His lips are full of displeasure, and his tongue as a devouring fire. It was so light and easy and milk toast at Calvary Chapel. It was great. It was a social club. It was a country club. I loved it. It was easy. Man, I tell you what, it has been 15, 20 years, and it's, it's tough. It is tough swimming upstream. It is tough, and you know, you've got to get some scales on you. Because you're going to get hit wherever you go. You can't eat in the restaurants you used to eat. You can't listen to the music you used to listen to. You don't have the same friends anymore. Everything changed. You can't read the same magazines. You can't watch the old shows. You can't educate your children where everybody else educates your children. You can't even have the jobs that you thought you would have because you don't want to be in that kind of culture. Everything becomes narrower and harder. And that's why people don't do it. You could go back to Mitzrayim. It's quite spiritual there. There's lots of gods. Man, the garlic's good too. 
And the leeks mm. and the onions, those church barbecues, you know, that was so much fun, wasn't it? The potlucks. I love those. I love those. <laughs> Especially when we'd meet in the park in the summer. Oh, they were good. Mm. Man. But I will not go back to Mitzrayim, brethren. I will not go back to the milk toast. We have got to pursue the narrow road, the tight corners. It's a straight path, but you've got to get through the corners to get to the straight path. And sometimes, you know what? You start to go off and you think you go, but you've got to keep on the path. And there's thorns and thickets coming in. And you know what? If you're a leader, then you're going to get torn up. But the person behind you, not that they're less than you, they get a little bit of an easier path because we're beating down the brush. So sometimes you've got to take one for the team. Sometimes you've got to take it for the team, okay? If you look back at some of the videos that I used to do, there's 500 of them on YouTube, rapidly declining. You can see that I took quite a few for the team. I mean, I went crazy messianic, so a lot of you don't have to. I think I might have been flying a Zionist flag at one time, okay? I know I was so that you don't have to, so that we don't have to fall for that propaganda. But was I once a part of it? Yes. And I repent and return to the Holy One of Israel, as we, you should do, as we should all do together. Amen. Say, brother, not that way, this way. Look at verse 30. Yahweh will cause his voice of Tifereth, oh, glory to be heard, and he shall show the coming down of his arm with the displeasure of his anger, and the flame of a devouring fire with scattering and storm and hailstones. By the voice of Yahweh shall Ashur be beaten down, who smote Israel with a rod. And in every place where the ordained staff shall pass which Yahweh shall lay upon it upon him it shall be with tambourines it shall be with harps in fierce battle he will fight against them for Tophet is ordained of old yes for the Melech the king it is prepared he has made it deep he has made it large its fire pit with much wood the breadth of Yahuwah like a river of brimstone. The breath of Yahuwah, excuse me, like a river of brimstone will burn it. You see the shift in the text again. Now it's focusing on what? Agricultural imagery. It's portraying a vision of prosperity now and abundance. So the literal meaning describes the blessings and fertility that will return. Yes, they will return to the land, Isaiah is saying, once the Assyrian threat is averted. Once the Assyrian threat is averted and you repent and you return back to Yahuwah, then there's going to be prosperity and abundance. And he's using agricultural imagery to communicate that. And the imagery is rich with symbolism. The use of farming metaphors, it hints at a much 
deeper spiritual significance. It portrays restoration. It portrays blessings. And this will, this will follow the threat of the Assyrian invasion. Once that is removed, this will follow. It too shall pass. World War Three. it too shall pass. The threat of rumors of wars, it too shall pass. The Hebrew word is Yavesh, Yavesh. And it is used for dry ground. And it symbolizes the present desolation that will, upon teshuva, repentance, bring forth fertility. A fertile ground black soil. The transformation then from barrenness to fertility holds very deep, if you can get what I'm laying down, deep spiritual symbolism. It symbolizes the return of Yahweh's favor upon the land. It symbolizes a broader spiritual restoration after a period of trial and hardship. The Hebrew word yavesh, dry ground, this term signifies arid or desolate conditions within the context of the passage. It represents the current state of the land conveying a sense of barrenness, a sense of lack. And if you go over to the state of Israel, you're like, man, you see that there. Oh yeah, there's pockets of agricultural fertility, but the land in general. I think it was Mark Twain, if you read, when he went and visited the land in the 19th century. And he writes about it. And he gives this very description. Tanur, the Hebrew word for oven. Tanur. And this metaphorical word is used to depict the destructive power or judgment that will befall the Assyrians. It signifies a tool of destruction, showcasing the impending fate of those northern oppressors. Is it Hezbollah? Is it Syria today? Well, that's the geographic region. So all that to say this, there's a transformation from desolation to fertility. And it symbolizes the imminent change in the land once the Assyrian threat is removed. That is what Isaiah is conveying. Now looking at parallels between the context of Isaiah 30 and the current situation in the state of Israel, we likewise see a current desolation with a yearning for a future prosperity once the looming threats or adversaries of different origins are overcome. Do we not see that today? We know Moshiach, we know Yahusha is the embodiment of hope. We know salvation and restoration are all bound up in him. But there is threats. Because there's a whole nation, state, that is apostate, that doesn't believe that he is the Moshiach. 
And there is a current war between the Ashkenazi Khazars and the Ishmaelite threat. Two sides of the same occupier's coin. Do you not see that? Two sides of the same intruder's coin. You can't say that, but I just did. But you can't, but I just did. You see, the transformation from spiritual barrenness to spiritual fertility is an indication of millennium, right? Of the millennium, which holds the promise of a return of divine favor upon the land and the spiritual restoration post an impending period of Jacob's trouble before the millennium. For us to get there, there has to be who marches first in martial array? Which tribe marches first? Judah has to march first. I'm talking Judah has to wake up. The Yehudites, the true Yehudites have to march first. And then when the 11 tribes join with them, Joseph's cloak into the land, Malkizedek, that is fertility, abundance, and richness. But right now, You've got a couple of other pieces occupying the board. And it's being sold to you as polarity. A negative and a positive. Pick a side. Pick a side. But what if they were the same side? We'd have to go back to the 1600s to establish that. And we'd find the Moshiach Negev, the anti-Messiah, in 1666. And where would we find this happening? Revelation chapter 2.8 in Smyrna modern-day Turkey, in 1666, we'd find the inception point of the two sides of the same coin. It's not polarity. Pick a side. <laughs> no. There's only propaganda. The same side occupying the board. Don't play that game. There's another game over here. But you've got to repent and return to the Holy One of Israel to be able to be a part of that. And that's a game of righteousness. And when that happens, the Yehudites will wake up and in order, in an orderly fashion, we will leave Egypt in martial array led by a flaming fire, the house of Joseph under martial array with the Yehudites and their 11 tribes behind as one, just as it was prophesied. But let me get there further. You're seeing in the text a transformation from spiritual barrenness to spiritual fertility. So I'm laying the groundwork for you, okay? It's indicated in the millennium. 
It holds the promise of a return of divine favor upon the land and a spiritual restoration post an impending period of Jacob's trouble before the millennium. I believe that we are in that period of what I am speaking. This interpretation then emphasizes a significant change from a desolate state to a renewed and fertile condition upon the elimination of threats from these different origins. So this transformative, transformative excuse me, process prepares the land for the envisaged return and unification of the scattered 12 tribes of Israel. Are you getting what I'm laying down? This isn't milk toast, is it? And that's why sometimes it's difficult for me to convey the information because it's all up here and I've got to get it up here, process it, get it out to you and hope that it's making sense. It makes sense to me, but I want it to make sense to you. So sometimes you're going to have to tell me to slow down. I believe this chapter is unveiling the anticipation for me and for you of a period of spiritual and physical renewal and restoration. It's emphasizing a parallel with the restoration and blessings foretold in Isaiah 30 after the removal of the Assyrian threat. The removal of these contemporary threats then is viewed as a step toward the ultimate reuniting and restoration of the scattered 12 tribes of Israel. We are backed up on Odyssey. In 1626, I'm going to tie it all together. Put your thinking caps on. In 1626, there was a man called Sabati Zevi. Sabati Zevi. Anybody know who he was? He was a Kabbalistic mystic that claimed to be the Messiah. Judaism has claimed more false messiahs than any other religion in the world. Failed messiahs. Okay. He was the prophesied messiah according to the Khazars. He was a mystic. He was into Kabbalah and all kind of mysticism. Sabati Sevi. And from him came the Sabbateans. The Sabbateans. Modern day Zionism is Sabbateanism. They are one and the same. Sabbateans. Let me demonstrate his life. He lived from 1626 to 1676. He was from Smyrna. Revelation chapter 2 verse 8 specifically. They who say they are, but they are not. He was a mystic. He was a magi. He was a practitioner of occult mysticism in Talmud, Mishnah, and Kabbalah. He made claim to be the Moshiach. He was therefore Moshiach Nagev, Antichrist. In 1666, 
1666, he moved to Constantinople, where under threat and duress, he converted to Islam and continued to live merrily. This is the foundation of Zionism using Islam for its furtherment, betterment, and survival. It's a cloak, one of the same cloak of the Mushiach Neged. The Sabbateans are the Zionists that use Islam as a cloak for survival and their betterment. Pick a side. You're playing the wrong game. You are on the wrong board. You've been bewitched. You've been beguiled. You've gone back to Egypt in your stinking thinking. There is no polarity on that board. They have cloaked themselves with Islam for their betterment and survival. That is what the Sabbateans do, because that is what Sabati Zevi did in 1666. Wake. It's not that complicated when we read history, and you can see Theodore Herzl, all of these Zionists, these were Sabbateans. You use Islam for a cloak for your betterment and survival. To ultimately bring about the third temple so that the anti-Mashiach, Mashiach Negev, can sit upon the throne of Jerusalem. And the nations will play on that game because you are the bankers and you've enslaved the nations and your dual citizens in the nations and you run the printing presses and there is no money of exchange there is only money of account so keep printing debt and the more that they are indebted the more the people will become oppressed and have to pay off the debt and the the kings of the world don't care. 33 trillion, 53 trillion, who cares? They're not paying it. They're your descendants, and the slaves within the reservation are paying it. It's beyond black and white. Yes, it, there is a race. Yes, there is a nationality. But it's not about white or black. And when you start to see the nationality, then you will start to see 
on which board you have been placed. But if you can just fight and make everything about polarity, then you'll never get off the board and get onto Yahuwah's board of righteousness and win the game which is good versus evil. All 12 tribes back in the land. Uh, I went off script because I'm so scripted. There's actually two distinct lines of the tribe of Judah. Two distinct lines of the tribe of Judah. And it ain't the Sabbateans. One of these lines is traced back to who? Zerah. Zerah. The Zerathites. As mentioned in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Now, the account in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, it narrates an incident involving King Asa of Judah, who faced a massive Ethiopian... This is where I'm really going to get unpopular. Like, it matters. 2 Chronicles chapter 14. King Asa of Judah. He faced a massive Ethiopian army, Africans, specifically East Africans, seeking deliverance, Asa prayed to Yahuwah, who granted victory to the people of Judah, leading them to defeat the Ethiopian army, as they pursued them to where? Gaza. Gerar. Gaza. They defeated all the cities around Gaza. There was much spoil. That's what the text says. They defeated all the cities around Gaza there was much spoil. I'm laying it down for you here that there's a game over here and then there's a righteous game over here. There's a board game with the Sabbateans in Islam and it's the same side of the same coin. It's the same game. It's Sabbati, the Sabbateans, cloaking themselves with Islam for the betterment of their survival, it's pawns. It's chess. But if we go back to the Bible, we're going to find out the truth. That the real Judahites, under King Asa, have to deal with the East African blacks. And they're going to defeat them. We'll get into Haile Selassie, don't worry about it. Because it's going to tie in too. Who was an East African Ethiopian who also was Mashiach Negev, an anti-Messiah. And they went and defeated all the cities around Gaza. There was much spoil. 
So the text indicates that the Zerahites, the true Judahites, were among the opposing forces routed by Asa's army to Gaza. Gerah. So the descendants of Zerah include one line of Judah who migrated to Africa after the destruction of the temple in 70 of the common era, establishing the kingdom of Judah in Negroland. Can we be clear on that? These individuals encountered conflicts with Africans who collaborated with the Khazars and the Ishmaelites in the slave trade. Subsequently, the Zerahite Jews were placed onto plantations intermingled amongst the Confederate states. Continuing now with the common theme of usurping the land's title, Haile Selassie, a descendant of the Ethiopians who opposed the true Judahite king Asa in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. And what did Haile Selassie desire? What did he desire? To usurp the land's title and make false Judahite claims akin to the Khazars and the Ishmaelites. It's the same side of the same coin. Number two, there's another line of Yehudahites, the true Jews. The other line of Judah, known as the Perizzites. They remained in the land and later converted to Islam during the Middle Ages to avoid paying the jizya tax. They became known as the Fehalim, and they intermingled amongst the Palestinians. In 1948, they too were placed into plantations, barbed wire plantations, signifying a period of upheaval and displacement for this lineage. Likewise, at the hands of the Khazars and the Ishmaelites, the Sabbateans, who are cloaking themselves in Islam and slaving, because that's always what it's been about. Don't you see? Judgment has come upon the Sabbateans, the Khazars and the Ishmaelites for their treatment of Judah, the true Yehudites. Both lines. Both lines. Both lines. Judah always marches first and it's connected to war in Gaza. Judah always marches first and it's connected to war in Gaza. When the true melanated Jews wake up to their identity and stop polarizing based upon shades of melanin here and abroad, then when, then the rest of the tribes will awaken to Awaken under the banner of Joseph and march victorious into the millennium reign. 
Now that truly is, brethren, free at last. I mean, if we're going to talk, that truly is fertility. All 12 tribes. But you see, this has always been about a land grab, a title grab, a Mashiach grab, a tribal grab. And it's cloaked itself in the dark cloak of Islam to protect itself and to use expansionism and control. That is exactly what Sabati Sevi did. The Sabbateans. He converted to Islam in 1666, pronounced himself Mashiach, and used Islam for survival and expansionism within the Ottoman Empire to supplant and then use the slave trade to enslave the true Judahites, both lines. And it is rooted in Gaza. A war in Gaza has to happen all the way up to Ashkelon, Zechariah tells you, to clear the land. I do not support the killing of innocent women and children. Not at all. And I'm not going to buy into the polarization when I realize this is Sabati Sevi and his disciples using the cloak of Islam to further expansionism within a land on a board. When there is truly a martial array of the 12 tribes waking up. That is what this is all about. And you're like, how did you get that out of chapter 30? Well, maybe I was pondering it a little bit too long. But I hope you can track with me. There's a lot I laid right down there. Second Chronicles chapter 14, Sabati Sevi, 1626 to, seven, to 1676. The Sabbateans, Smyrna, Turkey, Revelation 2.8, the synagogue of S.A. Tan. The Fehalim, the kingdom of Judah, the migration of Judah. It's all interconnected. You've got two lines, the Palestinians, the Fehalim. I mean... Then look at the dual nationality of all of our leaders. Look at all of the leaders of the CDC. They're all dual nationals. 2020 was brought to you by dual nationals that then experimented on a population over the most jab population. Right? Look at the CEOs of these big corporations that run interstate commerce. Dual nationals. And then when you talk to them about their true, true loyalty, it's, it's not over here onto this contiguous, contiguous landmass. The lo true loyalty is to over there. You've got to start looking at what this is really about. This is a race for Jerusalem. This is a race for the throne. This is Antichrist in its origin, 1666. <laughs> yes, it's religious. Yes, it's racial. 
but it ain't the religion and the racial that they're trying to get you to buy into. It's very specific. Very specific indeed. Those who say they are Yehuda, but they're not. Yahusha called it out. It's called out in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. And its origins is Smyrna, because that is where it went down in 1666. That's all I've got for you. That's all I've got for you. You can love it by giving us some thumbs up, or you can hate it, but I don't know if they let you put thumbs down anymore, do they? Because that would be offensive. Oh, it would be so offensive for me to see thumbs down. I actually like that, right? I don't want to be liked by everybody. Do you? I love the haters. I love them. Shh. You know, have your friends close, but have your enemies closer, right? My goodness. Blessings, think about that. Heavy load, heavy load, but it's really light and easy because we're coming into the millennium, but we've got to get through the land grab. We've got to get through this black shrouded cloak over the Sabbateans and remove the cloaking device so that the true Yehudites can come back into the land. And many of them are being bombed to oblivion right now over there in Gaza City. But you know, Yahuwah, Yahuwah will prevail. And we will prevail too when we can take off the MSNBC glasses, the Fox News glasses, the Republican glasses, the Democrat glasses and we do not live in a democracy thank goodness we live in a republic it's been taken over by a democracy but we still live in a republic we just have to live as you would want to live and then Moshe said something very interesting to me this morning we were talking about the scriptures and he said you know the lion of course which is a symbol of Judah said it's not the strongest animal in the animal kingdom. There are far bigger and far stronger and far faster animals. But he has the mentality of being the strongest. Therefore, he is. You have to renew your mind and believe who you are and it shall be. And you will be the strongest. You will be the most successful. You will be what a man thinketh, so he is. And then you speak out life, and then it, amazing things happen. So, Yevarechacha Yahuwah Vayishmerecha. Yeyer Yahuwah Panav Elecha Vichunecha. Yisa Yahuwah Panav Elecha Vayasim Lecha Lecha Shalom. May Yahuwah bless you and keep you. May Yahuwah make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May Yahuwah lift up his countenance upon you and grant you all shalom. In the mighty name of the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, Yahusha HaMashiach. Shabbat Shalom.